Well, and hello, everybody. My name is Ed Stetzer and happy to be partnering with Exponential as we do this webinar. We're actually going to be talking about the National COVID-19 Church Attendance Project and CCAP, because everything's done in acronyms in my world, maybe yours as well. This is actually a research project that's done in partnership with Exponential, with whom we're broadcasting today, Leadership Network, CDF Capital, um, Outreach Magazine, Wheaton College Billy Graham Center, Wheaton College uh, Billy Graham Center's SEND Institute, Wheaton College Center for Urban Engagement, and Wheaton College Humanitarian and Disaster Institute. So you'll see some of the partners here uh, on the screen. We're super thankful for our partners in this project. Let me tell you a little bit why this matters and why this is important. So uh, one of the things that we do here at the Wheaton College Billy Graham Center, and we know that our partners at Exponential and all the other ministries and organizations listed do, is help serve churches. We believe Ephesians 3.10 says, God has chosen the church to make known his manifold wisdom in the world. And certainly among those most hard hit during the pandemic had to be churches. Now, it wasn't just because they're churches. Theaters are pretty hard hit, too. There's something in common with both of them, large groups of people sitting together in confined spaces. And so early on, I had the privilege of actually before it was the government shutdown. Remember, two weeks to stop the spread? Two weeks. Now it's two doses to stop the spread, but that's another story. Um, I written an article on Religion News Service kind of calling on churches to pause services before. And I will tell you, I was, it, was, it was not a great week at my house. Um, but I think it was important for us to acknowledge the unique role that large group gatherings could play. Well, now we're seeing the light at the end of the tight, uh, tunnel if you're in the United States. We do recognize that many of our viewers are around the world. We welcome you. We also recognize situation in India, situation in Brazil, situation in Turkey is um, in some of those places is dire. And uh, we recognize that this is not going to be directly applicable to you. But we're beginning to see the light at the end of the tunnel, particularly in the U.S. Canada is a little different situation, doesn't have a domestic source of vaccine manufacturing, made a made a bad bet on a, on a, on a vaccine, didn't play out. And so they're playing catch up. But in much of the Western world. Uh, and, and again, we recognize the inequities inherent in that. But in much of the Western worlds, we're beginning to see a light at the end of the proverbial tunnel. So one of the things that our partners and us wanted to ask is, well, could we see how things are going? My phone pretty regularly gets texts. I'm actually in a text group of several pastor groups. And uh, it's, you know, what percentage are you back? What percentage are you back? And we began to see patterns. We saw patterns that uh, large churches were faring differently than small churches. Small churches in some ways doing better than large churches. Large churches in other ways doing better as well. Now, we couldn't address every single issue and question here. For example, we know from other research that African-American churches are disproportionately not meeting right now, probably because in many ways just the African-American churches were hit harder uh, at the beginning. And so, but we wanted to ask some helpful questions. And so over a thousand churches responded to our survey. Now, a couple of things. It's not a random sample, but it will be a repeating sample. The power is going to be in that repetition. Uh, we're looking at a longitudinal approach. So let me explain quickly what that means. First, we asked these churches to report to us where their attendance was in January 2020. You remember January 2020? I missed January 2020. I was in Hawaii in January 2020, but that's another story. I was preaching at a church in Hawaii. Everyone packed in the room. Uh, oh, I'm a little bitter about that. New Hope Church. Thank you, Wayne Cordero. Probably the last trip I took. Um, so January 2020, we asked what your attendance was then. We, the people did the survey just recently in April. We asked them what their attendance was in January 21, so we could compare the two. And then we asked what their attendance was at that time, the Sunday after Easter. 
so, so it gives us a picture of where things are. Now, again, I want our team to walk through the data with you, but I want to sort of frame some of where we were in this conversation. Then we'll kind of walk through uh, what we kind of learned here as well. So let me introduce you to our guest. Uh, we have two guests. I'll introduce first Enoch Hill. He's an associate professor of economics here at uh, Wheaton College, graduate of the University of Minnesota with a PhD in economics. Prior to returning to academia, he worked with Allstate Insurance Company, also spent time in Guatemala with a Christian organization designed to provide microloans to those living in and around Guatemala City garbage dumps. So he's uh, wonderful. He's at Wheaton Bible Church here locally. I've had the privilege of preaching there and what a wonderful church. And we're so glad to have him. And thank you so much for joining us in this conversation today. Thanks. It's my absolute pleasure to be here. Well, you've been a key driver behind all this research. And so the obvious question is, is um, why, uh, you know, what were you hoping to achieve? What were you hoping to find out in this? And how can the data help pastors who are right now trying to figure out what it means to reopen? Great. Well, so just like you were mentioning conversations with pastors who have really been wondering what's going to happen in the church and what is happening in the church. My brother's a pastor and we've had lots of conversations. Uh, the main driving question that kind of launched me to get involved with this project was, are people going to come back to church after COVID? And I think that's on the hearts of a lot of pastors. Now, I'm a social scientist. I work with data. So what can I do? We thought, well, being uniquely situated at Wheaton College with the skill set that we have here, we were thinking maybe we can do this more systematically. We can try to aggregate church information so that we can go off of more than just uh, the stories of the pastors that we have in our immediate networks. Um, so yeah, that's the, okay, that's helpful, the main driver. Helpful. Okay, so, so let's talk about some of the things that you found because COVID... One of the one of the strange things is that, you know, for 2000 years, the church has gone through pandemics and epidemics. And um, there's an interesting response that people have at the beginning of this pandemic. Some people said the era of the large church is over, that there'll never be a time again when church people will gather in large groups. Um, uh, Andy Crouch was on the Stetcher Leadership Podcast, our first episode, one of our most listened to. And he helped us to think in terms of this is not a snowstorm, you know, which is a short term, you know, got to deal with this just a little bit. It's not a it's not a blizzard. Um, it's where you got to deal with it a week. It's not a it's not a winter where you got to deal with it months. He called it a little ice age that could have long term ramifications. Since then, we've seen I've seen Tom Rayner say that he thought churches would stay would would come back at about 20 percent less than they were before. So 80 percent. Um, I was at Saddleback preaching a few weeks ago. And that's the big question. Who is still a part of our church family as well. So we've got some initial data that you're going to kind of walk us through. So tell us what you're seeing and, uh, and, and what it might, well, let's just first what we're seeing. Then I want to talk about what it might mean for the future. So walk us through that. Sure. Absolutely. So the first thing is these disruptions to the church are monumental. They're largely unprecedented, at least in the data that I have had the pleasure of looking at. Um, so first of all, in-person church attendance was cut dramatically. And as of January, 2021, comparing to just a year prior to the, the time that uh, we're rem reminiscing about being. In oh, I miss January 20. Yes. Even, even though it was cold, we got to be together. Yeah. That's right. That's yeah. right. We saw a 60% drop stunning. in in-person attendance. Yeah. Yes. It's, it's absolutely stunning. Um, between January 2021 uh, to the month of April, we we've seen that pick up about a, th a third of what was lost has recovered in mm -hmm. those three months. And that's, that's still in the initial period. Okay, we're coming, yeah, right now, the chart on the screen talks about uh, in-person attendance by church size. Mm -hmm. So talk to us. This is compared to, so we start with the, the starting point that compares these numbers is January, 2020. Correct. So if you're at hundred in January, 2020, which might be a small, the small church, you know, mm -hmm. we have under hundred, you had 58 people going in January and 90 people going 
January of 2021. So for every 100 people that were attending in January of 2020, 58 people were still attending in person in January of 2021, and 90 out of 100 in small churches were attending in April of 2021. And to to highlight, though, that is of the churches that elected to respond. It's to always it's always going to be a convenient sample, and mm-hmm. so we can we will caveat that one time that Great. every source Doesn't of data that. will be a convenient sample. A couple of things, though, it's a good time to be a small church. I mean, that data points us to the fact that smaller churches are doing better than larger churches. And I would say, you know, we're I'm very concerned about church planning, exponential. Our partner very concerned about church planning. Could be a good time to be a church plant as well. It's tend to be smaller. Your church is three to four or five thousand people. That's it's right. hard to be a large church right now. That's right. Yeah. So the 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 effects have been different <clears throat> by church size. So if you look at the large church, the third column, uh, they saw a drop of sixty three percent, and then that's recovered to fifty four percent in the last uh, couple of weeks. They're still seeing the majority of their attendance. Uh, remotely, okay, large so, churches as, as opposed to smaller churches. Yeah, we've seen that numerically just all around the country. All right, let's go to the next slide and talk about uh, attendance composition by date and what that ultimately means. Yeah, so this is this is another astounding trend uh, change in behavior. So prior to the pandemic, about one in seven people were attending church remotely. That's that graph on the left. Fifteen percent out of out of one hundred percent were attending remotely at the what we might call the peak of the pandemic. Uh, six out of 10 people were attending remotely. Peak of, the, peak of the pandemic would be January 21. That's when the fire alarms were going That's off right. and it was, you know, people were, don't do not do anything for Christmas. We got to remember, it just seems so different right now. That's right. But um, I was actually supposed to preach at a church uh, in Tennessee. You know, Tennessee didn't shut down uh, as it went through its process. And I was supposed to preach at a church called Long Hollow. And literally Sunday, I was going to come. All of Tennessee shut down. First time in the wow. pandemic was right in January wow. as well. Yeah. So we're talking the peak of, of new cases yeah. and um, the, uh, the peak of remote attendance. So remote attendance at that point in time had jumped from almost fourfold from from one out of seven to six out of ten. Fascinating. Fascinating. And now we're seeing it shift back, but it's a long, still a long way to go. We can't forget that church is largely an online experience for many, many, if not not most, according to the data, but not still many, many people as well. And one thing to highlight is this also represents inordinate amounts of work by staff and pastors. Oh, gosh, a lot yes. of our pastors are expressing uh, exhaustion through the pandemic. And, and, and there's something to be proud of in the fact that they transitioned so many different people from being engaged in person directly to being able to at least continue to have a connection to the church. For sure. 96, 96% of the churches that uh, responded to our survey indicated that they offer some form of online engagement. 96%. 96%. I wonder if it's the smallest ones. It would make sense. It's the smallest ones who don't. And maybe because they have a higher response, but also, you know, the resources and technology are often not there. Though you can sit down with your laptop and do Facebook live right now, for sure. Mm -hmm. It's just not, not the experience. That's probably where most of us were in March, 2020. We're all, you know, sitting (laughs) in Just trying to figure it out. And a computer. Okay, so let's go on to the next slide. Total church attendance, which is online. But explain this slide. People in our audience are able to see it as well. Great. Okay, yeah. So this is this is this is similar to our um last slide. It just expands the data a little bit. So for the the furthest to the right columns show the same information as was on the last slide. Is one in seven, 15% of church attendees were remote. And more most recently, that's just under half, 47%. But we've split it by church size. And one thing that was interesting to note is that medium-sized churches, those churches between 100 and 999 in-person congregants prior to the pandemic had the smallest online presence hmm. of any category prior to the pandemic. Now, even though they still lag the smallest and the largest churches in terms of total percent that are uh, attending remotely, their online presence has increased the greatest 
uh, percent. So medium-sized churches went from 7% online pr- prior to the pandemic to 47% attending remotely at the at the peak of the pandemic. So they really figured out how to do online services. And there it's it's harder to just host, you know, a, a single Zoom session. They figured out how to stream their services. And this is a, a, a permanent learning by the church. I think something, something that even though it's not, it wasn't desired and it wasn't something that we perhaps would have chosen to do, if not for the pandemic, it is a learning that I think will stick with us. Yeah, I think so too. I think so too. All right. So um, as we walk through the data, let's take a look at the next next slide as well. Uh, again, attendance, church size, tell us what that means. Sure. So this is just showing the growth in the number of attendees remotely by church size. So for example, like I said, medium-sized churches increase their online presence the, the most dramatically. So about you know, between five and six fold increase in uh, online attendance for medium-sized churches. Now for all sizes of church, that that number has started to decrease, but not as fast as people. uh, It hasn't decreased as much as the number of people returning in person, which is another point to celebrate. This means that the total number of people attending church, either remotely or in person has started to increase, which is something that at least, I mean, I think most of us are very interested and excited about happening. Yeah. I think a lot of pastors early on, I, I had to kind of temper some of the enthusiasm because they're seeing the Facebook numbers. They're like, you know, 10,000 people are watching us. Well, you know, that's people watching, but this is not Facebook reported numbers. These are actually what you ask. It's still self-reported numbers from pastors of those congregations, but their perception is, is that there's a net higher number engaging, correct? That's right. And, well, um, we're just talking online. Yeah. Yes. There's a net, there's absolutely a net higher number engaging. Uh, different churches do track online attendance differently, right. but to the extent possible, we brought this back to the number of viewers or the number of views, not the number. If, if a church applied a multiplier, we divided by the number of multipliers. So we tried to make it as uniform as possible. Of course, there's not easy to do. Yeah. There's a lot of different differentiation across churches. Yeah. And what'll be interesting to see is this is helpful data as this is our data point number one. Mm-hmm. But when we get to data point number six, we'll be able to see what this looks like. One of the things that people are often asking is, you know, what percentage is back to in-person? Matter of fact, and if you don't mind, go back to slide three, the slide that talks about the um, January 2020 in-person attendance by church size, because we're consistently asked this question. So we actually can say, this is what your peers are indicating and experiencing. So if you're a large church, if you're back at a higher level than 57%, uh, that's well higher than the norm. The challenge part, part of this too, is it's, it's so different regionally. You know, I preached at Calvary right. Chapel, Fort Lauderdale uh, in the middle of the pandemic when we were shut down in Illinois and they had thousands of people in three services. So it's a little tricky, but these are national numbers as well, correct? Yeah, these are national numbers, although we do have geographic information. Great. And throughout the rest of the summer, we're planning on diving down deeper by state and if there's a sufficient number by county. Yeah. So we're going to be doing analyses by denomination, by county, and by nice, state. Nice, nice. It'll be interesting to see if the Pentecostals are back more than the Presbyterians. Yeah, it will be interesting to see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we'll also be looking at different, as policies change by state, how right. those policies interact with attendance. So as a church who might not have be located in an area that it has lifted restrictions. What can you expect to see? How can you start planning now for when those restrictions are lifted? Yeah, this is going to be incredible helpful data set as we kind of walk through this as well. Okay, let's continue going through the data. Let's I think we're at slide seven, share of January 2020 total attendance by church size. Tell us about that. Uh, I'm not... Okay, we'll put that back up in just a second. Here it is. Yep. Oh, okay. So I think we've already discussed this one. Main thing to highlight is that we've dramatically increased our online I'm sorry, attendance. I want to go to the next one. Let's go to the next one. Share of 2020 total church sentence by church size. That one. Nope. Go back one. That one. Perfect. Perfect. So this is combining our best understanding of online attendance and in-person attendance. Yeah. Now, there's a couple caveats. Online attendance, not every church tracks online attendance. So about 
a rough, a little under a third of churches who offer an online service don't actually keep track. And we counted those as zeros. So that's probably too pessimistic mm-hmm. uh, a view. Uh, at the same time, there's different methods of counting an online attendee might not be equivalent to an in-person attendee. But when all is said and done, we, we've started to see an increase in the total uh, attendance, both combining online and in-person, which is really encouraging, especially since a higher percentage of the last number, the number all the way on the right in each column. So the 91% represents a higher share of in-person attendance. So we've seen people starting to re-engage with the church as COVID restrictions have lifted. Yeah. Interesting. And they're re-engaging in-person, but still there's substantial online engagement that is more than just somebody's, you know, bouncing in and out on a Facebook uh, two-minute view or something. That's right. Mm -hmm. All right. Let's talk about budgets because one of the things I think has surprised a lot of people a year ago this time, it was kind of a, well, but not by May, but in March and April, there was a financial panic. We okay. saw churches drop by, uh, some churches drop by half, particularly among rural churches, urban churches, service sector churches. They still have been impacted. But, uh, but at the same time, I started getting phone calls from pastors saying, you know, by the time I got to May, our giving's up. Some of the churches, 2020, said it was their best year financially. I had a pastor of a large church who was totally kidding. Don't send letters. He said, I'm not sure I'm never going to meet again. This has been our best year financially. We're engaged <laughs> in ministry. And he's, he's got thousand seat sanctuary, thousands of seats in the sanctuary. And he says, but we're serving more, sharing more, and, and people are giving more. Um, so that's not shocking to you because of the data, but I think people will be surprised by it. So share a little bit about what's going on financially. Yeah, I think it, it was shocking initially. So we expected some sort of movement, but we asked people in the survey, what was your budgeted giving as of January of 2020? And how did that compare to actual giving in the year 2020? Yeah. So uh, what we saw was that over half of churches actually saw their giving greater than what was expected. Now that's not perfectly representative of the data, there's another way to present the information. And that is that overall giving did decline slightly if you aggregate it. So those who had saw more giving than expected were outweighed by the decrease in spending by those who saw less than was expected, but it was rough. It was remarkably stable. Yeah. And and anecdotally, um, some churches, particularly churches, not in whether people are primarily in the service sector or the entertainment industry, um, lower middle-class churches anecdotally seem to struggle but middle to upper middle class, which kind of reflects what we talked about, a, a K recovery, right? It wasn't some talked about being the, the V turned out to be a K where middle and upper middle class actually did better in many ways. And that was reflected in the giving of their churches. Right. So there's a really interesting study by Raj Chetty and his team who study the, who have a website called Opportunity Insights. You can check it out. There's a lot of free data there. It's easily accessible, easy to use. And they've tracked the recovery in all sorts of different manners, but they've looked at by sector, by income, by demographic, by region. And they found that, like you mentioned, it's a really has been a K recovery. So the effects on different groups of people has been very, very uh, we different. Should, I should explain the K recovery just so everyone gets it. So think in terms of a K, which I don't do very well. Uh, people <laughs> in the middle who are already in the middle, upper middle class went up and people in the lower and the lower middle class sort of went down. So that's what we mean by a K recovery. It wasn't uniform where we were hoping for a V, went down, went back up, but instead it went down and went different directions. So yeah, it's remarkable. So GDP is, is down over the year, was down over the last year, but it's not down in every sector. It's actually tr- pretty dramatically up in goods and distant produce, di- distant service producing sectors, but services that have to be provided in person. So hospitality, restaurants, et cetera, they're seeing big hits over the last year. So the composition of your con- of the congregation really matters for predicting the effects on Good. Let's take a look at a couple other slides here as well. Go to slide number nine, church, uh, actual giving, share budgeted. This is by size. Uh, we'll, we'll get it right up here. And there it is. Yeah. So this one, really the thing to highlight is that it's remarkably consistent across size. So we're not seeing small or large churches uh, remar- uh, unusually 
receiving more relative to what was expected or less. Relative See, this, this is a little different than my anecdotal experience, which is why I like data better. My anecdotal experience is that large churches were doing better. Small churches were struggling more. So it's not that it's more sectors of economy. Probably. It, yes, that's okay. right. Yeah. I'm, I'm get, so we haven't yet divided it regionally, yeah. but I'm guessing when we do, we'll see more story there. Yeah. Uh, the, if there's anything to report here, it's that medium sized churches actually fared the best in, in our data set. But so, not a whole lot of difference, but not a yeah. whole lot of difference. Yeah. yeah. Main thing is that it's pretty stable. Okay. Let's go to the next one. So I did want to, we, we did want to dive down deeper and say, so is we, we see the a- averages a lot of times cover up inequality or variance across groups. So we wanted to split it out from the, the most hard hit in terms of giving relative to budget to the, the churches that were, received, were observing giving far above what they had expected or budgeted. So what this is, is a distribution by percentile. So it's like maybe you took a standardized test and you were at the 50th percentile. If you were the 50th percentile, you were exactly the middle student. So that's the median church uh, received remarkably exactly what they budgeted in giving. So they were, they were, now right this was it. 2020 budget. So they could have adjusted their, no, wait, sorry, it's 2020, 21. It's 2020. And, okay. and it's comparing what they budgeted for giving yeah. in January okay, before they knew, before they knew the pandemic. That's right. right. Okay. To compared to yeah. year end. And so and what happened realized. was, you know, just for people to remember the number, this is a very American description. So just so you remember the timeline. So January time, you know, economic was economy was booming. There a lot of political division, but economy was booming. Um, and so churches, most churches set their budget in and around that time. Uh, then March, April economic collapse. And what happens is a lot of people then cut their payrolls and more, sometimes over some engaged in what we call the payroll protection plan. So that was intended to create a buffer. So everyone didn't lay off all their staff. And many churches took that labor became controversial. It wasn't that controversial at the time. I actually interviewed Marco Rubio about it and uh, at Stetcher Leadership Podcast kind of explained why churches, he was one of the people who pushed for churches to be able to engage. So that stabilized things for a lot of churches, turns out their budgets did okay in most contexts anyway. That's right. Yeah. And even so even when we split it out now, there is variation across the churches that were hit the hardest in terms of their budget relative to churches who saw actually their giving increase, but it wasn't that big. So from the if you're if you're ordering everybody from the hardest hit to the to the the ones who actually saw an increase in their giving, the 10th percentile, the most the, the group that was hardest hit was seeing about a 15% drop yeah. in their in their giving relative to budget. And the churches who received the most in in excess of what they expected was receiving it roughly 20% gain. So it's it's still not yeah. that much variation. Not a big change. That's right. And, right. and we see that in staffing as well. Staffing, yeah, let's go to staffing. Let's go to the next slide. I don't think there's staffing. a step. Oh, there was there yeah. is a staffing. Great. Yeah. So overall, 57% of churches did not change their staffing over the over the past a uh, year and a half, roughly 14 months or sorry, 16 months. Um, staffing overall dropped about 2.5%. Um, and largest churches were the hardest hit in terms of the decrease in staffing. Now you see much more movement in the large churches, but that's more a function that they have a lot more staff. Right. So if you go from 30 to 31 or 30 to 29 staff, that's not as big a change is going from one to two staff or two to one staff. So we see smaller and medium-sized churches more stable in terms of if overall of no overall change in staffing. But um, the majority of churches that we interviewed didn't see changes. in. Staffing. Yeah, it's interesting that you actually see that as a whole. So here's, here's, the, here's the whole survey. Tell us about this. Yeah. So this is just aggregating it up across yep. all churches. Overall, over half of churches did not see a change in their staffing. About 20% increased their staffing, about 23% decreased their Which staffing. feels like a normal year to somebody who's looked at these numbers for a long time. So right. it doesn't, there wasn't a huge number of layoffs is what this boils down to. That's right. Uh, now, even in some places, there were changes. You know, Even here at the Wheaton College Billy Graham Center, we have uh, this, probably the same number of staff, but different staff 
not just because of normal turnover, but because we do things differently. We now we now do direct to to people, right, right here, right. Even right now, we're doing these videos, so that was a change in staff even to That's get right. to here. So those those might be baked into the numbers as well. Okay, super helpful. Uh, give us a quick summary, and then we're going to go on talk to, with some of the pastoral leadership issues as well. Quick summary of what you see in the data thus far. Yeah. So the big the biggest takeaway, at least from my perspective, is there's been a massive change in attendance habits or patterns. So we've, like I said, there was a sixty percent drop in in person attendance. And that started to recover. Now we're praying that that continues to recover. At the same time, there's been major learnings in the church. The church really has learned how to provide online access to its congregations, which is something that hopefully will be retained. But we are hoping for the majority of people to return uh, in person. And perhaps the most encouraging thing is that total engagement, whether online or in person, has turned around. It's now to over 90% of what it was uh, prior to the pandemic. So we want to see that surpass 100%. But uh, it's not, you know, if the, if the original guest was down a permanent loss of 20%, we've seen better than that so far. Yeah. Yeah. So we might not see those realities come back. I, I do think people have engaged and disengaged in different levels. I, I have a forthcoming article talking about how, you know, the front rows of the church are more engaged, not less. The middle rows of the church, probably the same, but it's those back third are disengaged. You know, I got to tell you, people got tired of watching online. Sure. So there's, and we'll talk some about that in the days to come. There are some challenges. Can we re-engage the less engaged who are now disengaged? Because what happens is you can get focused on the still engaged who are very excited. They're like, we're going to do this. They, they rallied for the cause. So tricky questions as well. Let me say, Dr. Hill, thank you for your passion for the church. I love working with Wheaton College uh, colleagues who are passionate about the church and want to serve the church as well. So thank you. It's an absolute pleasure. If this, if this project can help the church in any way, it is an absolute success. Good. we got more to go. we got more conversation with you as well. Let me introduce our next guest. His name is Andrew McDonald. He's finished up a PhD in church history from Trinity Evangelical Divinity School. He is Associate Director of the Wheaton College Billy Graham Center Research Institute, been a part of this uh, project all along. And we're going to talk a little bit. He's actually coming to us live from the uh, Wheaton College Billy Graham Center Research Library filled with evangelism and missions resources as well. So we're so thankful to have him in our conversation today. Andrew, before we go to the slides, uh, it's not an easy time to be a pastor, and it's not just the pandemic. 2020 and 2021, I'm of the belief that David Brooks is right. We're going through, he wrote in the Atlantic, every 60 years, America goes through a cultural convulsion. And I think that when you take 2020 in whole, the pandemic, the racial injustice, the uh, summer violence over the summer, um, the the uh, uh, protests where people were speaking up on on civil rights issues, the political division. Need I go on and on and on um, and end the pandemic? It's just a really challenging time to be a pastor. Some of that's reflected here. We're going to try to focus specifically on those COVID numbers. I should also add that Andrew is Canadian, so he has a unique look at the cultural context here from both an insider and an outsider as well. So pastoral challenges, let's talk about the challenges COVID has caused for pastors. Um, we want to see, you can actually see slides on the screen here, Andrew, I think you can probably see them as well if you're open in that system. Um, so what, talk to us about the data and, but for, you know, what to, what do pastors see as their most significant challenges leading through COVID and why does it matter? Yeah, thank you, Beth. It's a great point. I think even if you take out the pandemic completely, 2020 is a, a very difficult year for pastors to pass through. Just everything that you've listed off, when you add the pandemic into it, it becomes uh, something that was unimaginable before. And so I think uh, one of the things Enoch and I have said throughout the, this process is it's important to at least acknowledge at the beginning that pastors have led one of the most incredible changes in behavior, in life, and and relationship that we've ever seen, that we probably will ever see in our lifetime. And that's remarkable just in and of itself. 
And, and I think pastors should at least take time to reflect on the fact that this is something significant that they've accomplished, uh, regardless of whatever the data says uh, of who, who is who's been well or who is struggling in different regions. I think pastors need to recognize the first and foremost that this is a sub- substantive change that they have weathered and, and gone through. And we're looking at light at the end of the tunnel. And that's something to be uh, applauded, I think, uh, significantly of pastors across the board. Um, but when we look at what challenges pastors are facing, I mean, you hit it. The, the biggest one that pastors are, are keying in on are keeping the congregation connected. Over half of pastors signify that this was the most significant challenge leading to COVID. Uh, the, the second one being all the way down at 15%, which was managing relational and or organizational conflict. And if you're a leader, you have had to put out many, many fires, not just relationally, but organizationally over the past year. But it's telling that the fact that you're right, the first row, they are super connected. That's the, 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 the middle rows, they're, they're kind of in and out. But that back row, they, they can fade off and, and ultimately uh, fall away. And it's really hard to kind of keep them connected to the, the, the church. And so when you, when you go on to the next slide, when you see when we ask them what, uh, how active participation, so when we look at serving and giving, small group participation, all those different features, has that increased or decreasing? Again, almost half of pastors say that it is decreased, which is, again, seeing the biggest challenge of pastors is, okay, we're doing Sunday morning services, we're doing, uh, we're, we're trying to get small groups going, but how can we keep people connected? I had one pastor t- I was talking with over the weekend, and he was saying, you can only send so many Zoom links that they'll just ignore. And that's the problem. How can you keep people uh, connected when all you have is email and phone calls when you can't grab them by the hand and say, how are you doing and engage with them? And so this was the biggest problem for pastors as they were trying to engage in this. And this is, again, one of the most significant reasons we see that uh, that active engagement has decreased. Yeah, for sure. Andy, go back to slide 14, if you don't mind for just a second, because I want us to not to miss this, that what we see is adapting to online preaching, which early on, everyone was, their hair was on fire. That was the crisis. I did a Facebook live back then that a couple hundred thousand people watched because my point was, this is not the crisis. And what we see now is, I, don't, I want you to put some things together in your head as you look at this chart, keeping the congregation connected, managing relational organizational conflict, right? Observing the COVID safety requirements and guidelines. You add those together, those are all talking about some of the cultural challenges could be impacted by each of those categories. So we, we, we're going to see that a little bit later on. Let's go to slide 16, which looks remarkably like a map of Hawaii. But nevertheless, let's talk about what these numbers actually mean. Andrew, please walk us through. Yeah, so we asked pastors to rank for us their, on their priority list where uh, we get seven different uh, priorities that they could rank where they were. This is very similar to what we did with an exponential survey back in the summer of 2020. We asked them to rank, and uh, at the top of the list, by far, the, the, the highest ranking was evangelism and outreach initiatives, followed a little bit closer by uh, ongoing membership, connection, and care. So now we're seeing this turn, and this is part of the, the turn towards reopening, is that when, as I was saying, when pastor's hairs were, hair was on fire and you're trying to figure out how to preach online, how to care for people, how to keep people connected, it's hard to be on mission. It's hard to be evangelistically focused. And so pastors were much more caring about technology training and improving giving and thinking through those different, pro, uh, those, those different issues. But now that we are beginning to reopen, the pastors are beginning to turn their attention back towards externally facing evangelistic outreach initiatives. And that's, I think that for, for, especially for us at the Billy Graham Center, we're very encouraged by that. And you can see here when we ask them to rank when, uh, in terms of first, second, and third priority, that evangelism, uh, evangelism was either the first, second, third priority for a significant uh, range of, of, of 
pastors. And so when you see that, as well as the ongoing membership connection care, you're seeing that pastors are first and foremost prioritizing reaching out into their community and caring for their people. Technology, which was such a significant piece. I mean, remember, we at the Billy Graham Center, we hosted several webinars and Ed did several podcasts around helping pastors get online, technologically innovate. But we've hit a, a plateau now where pastors are less, far, far less concerned with technologically innovating, uh, engaging around giving, and really focused on how do I connect with my people? How do I show them that the church is back open? We're reopening. We want them to come out. And we want to not only the people who were members, but people who are still now spiritually trying to push, put the puzzles back together after everything's been kind of collapsed and put it back together and come out. And so I think that's really exciting for us to see this renewed emphasis upon evangelism. Yeah, let me tell you that, that I think that's important at multiple levels. Um, the reality is, you know, as a church planter, many times I would, uh, you know, I guess I've had launch services multiple times. And if it just rained, you know that a third of the people you're hoping for are going to show up. So people who are maybe unchurched or disconnected spiritually, uh, they often just need any reason not to come. And if there's been a reason not to go into a large group of people, that reason has been evident since uh, since February, March of 2020. But I do think, and we see in the data, that there's an increasing interest and focus in evangelism. We do think that as we look to the fall, maybe even this summer in some ways, as we look to the fall, we're going to see a significant opportunity for gospel harvest, for church planting, for evangelistic outreach as well. So let me just encourage you. That's one of the reasons we've actually put together the uh, the Amplify Conference, moved it to fall. And so the Amplify Outreach Conference is our uh, is our annual conference where we're going to focus on helping churches, Christians show and share the love of Jesus, pastors, church leaders, some of the, uh, uh, we're partnered with Outreach and Outreach Magazine and more. We want to encourage you to uh, make plans for the fall that are evangelistic, that are focused on what we believe would be a receptive time. Of course, we can't promise, but we can plan. And we think that opportunity is going to be significant before us as well. So just wanted to mention that as well as we look at the evangelism data. One of the things too, Andrew, that we've seen is I'm calling it the great sort. And again, it's in a forthcoming article that, um, and again, it just it was just a conversation I had uh, out, at, out at Saddleback uh, with um, Rick Warren and others is people just saying, we don't, and lots of other people, we don't know who's coming back and when. And as I've talked to pastors across the country, some have all kinds of, they're surprised at how many new people are showing up, but they also see a lot of people who are disconnected. And sometimes it has to do with what you said during the summer of 2020. Uh, did you, as the sign said, did you say his name? Did you mention George Floyd? And if you didn't, some people noticed. If you did, other people noticed. Some people were pleased. Some people were displeased, no matter what you did. It was interesting. Right after the election, my phone kind of lit up with texts from pastors saying, okay, it's after the election, uh, do I pray for President-elect Biden, uh, who, who you know, has by that time been declared the winner? And if you did, some people were mad at you. Some people were mad at you if you didn't. And there, so what's happened? What about masks? Did you require them? Did you suggest them? Did you not care at all? We have churches that have exploded in attendance because they ignored the mask mandates in their communities and I heard one church say, we're having a revival. I said, well, I mean, you're having a revival of people who left churches were mad at their pastors because they required masks, as the county said. So the question then becomes is, what does this look like after the great sort? Um, and, I, and I've got some opinions on this, but opinions are not worth as much as data. So tell us, Andrew, what we're seeing in the data. Let's put up the next slide, which is slide 18. Tell us what we're seeing in the data, Andrew. Yeah, so I think I think you're right. Uh, Daniel Yang, who works here at our sentence group, was very uh, very uh, into saying that those pastors, uh, those people who you have 
in your church, in your organization, at the end of the day, they're going to know how you loved them. Uh, and that's what they're going to walk away from this with. And I think that's really telling in a lot of ways of pastors uh, finding out uh, ultimately that there were people who they didn't even really know, but felt loved by them uh, that are going to be there. I was talking to one pastor uh, a few weeks ago who was saying that he had somebody join his church. He didn't even know that they had joined their church. They've been attending for six months online. And all of a sudden they showed up to one of the reopening services and said, I've been, I've been here, I'm uh, attending online. Now I'm ready to become a member. And so I think that that experience is going to become more common of people coming out that you didn't even really know, uh, but they've been listening to your preaching, engaging worship, engaging other people in your church for months. Uh, it's a very odd experience. I think it's going to be a little bit rocky at some places, but you know, there's a lot of grace in that. In terms of looking at the data, one of the things that was the driver for people joining churches in terms of expressing it, you can see there at 30% was churches, COVID, social distancing, and our reopening policies. And you can see that in terms of people where pastors were saying that people were joining their churches, listing how they responded to COVID, either being more restrictive or being less restrictive than the church that they were coming from. And that was a real pull for them. So what we're seeing is, is that COVID is COVID restrictions, alignment with COVID policies is the most significant or at least one of the most significant drivers in church transitions amongst the people that we surveyed. Um, this is pastors. Again, this is pastors estimations. These are their perceptions of what's happened. They didn't have people fill out a card. Why did you leave my church? Why did you come to this church? This is more from their conversations with people. But notice on the other side, in terms of people who are leaving, you see there's 26%, the largest number over, over a quarter of pastors say that people of their church over feelings of connection, uh, of disconnection. And that's important. We don't know whether or not people were saying, I feel disconnected, and it was really a different, uh, a different uh, reason that might have been behind that. Notice that the, the, uh, the summer protests is so low that it didn't even uh, a rank on our leaving scale, but it's at 3% and joining. So there's a little bit of a, dis uh, of a of, uh, disconnect right there. And so we see that people are leaving churches because they're feeling disconnected. They're telling their pastors, I didn't feel like I got connected to the church but they're coming to different churches saying, we appreciated the way that you were responding to COVID. I think if we had asked ourselves before this whole thing started, would people leave church? Would people leave my church because of how I responded to, to COVID? I don't know if it would have ranked as highly as, as we know now, but it seems to be a significant, if not the most significant driver of church transitions. Yeah, I, I remember talking to Andy Stanley on our uh, podcast with him. I think it was most listened to podcast when Andy announced that North Point would not meet again until the end of the year. This was 2020. Uh, and one of the more fascinating things he said in, even I hope it was in the podcast. I hope it wasn't like before when we were talking, but he said, um, yeah, I've, I've had people in my church for 10, 20 years who, because of a decision in a pandemic, basically said, I'm compromised. I'm, 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 you know, I'm not, I'm not doing whatever and, uh, and left the church. And so stunning the number of people who just said that I, I was having a conversation with a church member of a, a, a large church in this area. I won't mention the name of the church who said to me, my church broke fellowship with me when it required me to wear masks. If I can't see people, I'm not in fellowship with people. I said, how long have you been in that church? He said, 35 years. And so now you're done over this. He said, I'm done over this. And so it's stunning to see some of the impact that's here. The great sort is still underway. And I just want to say to pastors and church leaders who are benefiting disproportionately from the great sort, people who left their church upset 
And I don't know what they were upset about, upset about things that are uh, not things to be upset about. They're going to be upset about things in your church and you're going to reap that harvest. So be careful and be wise as you walk through this. People who leave a church upset tend to come to your church and find things within six months. Another story for the day. Another day. Andrew, anything else you'd want to share with us uh, about the data that you found uh, encouraging, discouraging, um, you know, a, a struggle you see still to come? Any just anything you want to kind of wrap up with us? Well, I would just add quickly, on, uh, tagging on to what you just said there, I think one of the most important things for us as pastors or, or us as leaders, church leaders, is looking at the qualitative data. There was a lot of uh, the, the responses that pastors could write into this question specifically about why people were leaving or coming to their church. One of the things that we saw amongst some people was buying into this tension, pastors buying into this tension that we were getting COVID right and other churches weren't. Uh, other pastors were responding to it very positively of like, they were responding, they didn't want to say they were joining because of COVID, but we tease this out with them and use it as an opportunity to disciple. I think that this has provoked not only tension within congregations, but there's tension between congregations as well. And I think that pastors need to reflect very carefully, not only on how they led through their people through COVID, but how have you led, how, how have you related to other churches in your community and how they've led through COVID? playing off other churches against one another over uh, our policies versus their policies and injecting a spiritual nature into how people are responding to it, I think is ultimately laying seeds down that we're going to be, as you use, as you use the term, we're going to be reaping those seeds for years to come. So I would, I would warn pastors, be very careful in the way in how you present the way you're responding and also be empathetic towards other churches and how they're responding. This is a very, as we said off the top, this is a remarkable change. Uh, and pastors are leading the best that they can. People are going to respond to it very differently. I think that we need to not only demonstrate grace towards people in our congregations, but grace towards other pastors as well. Yeah, indeed. It's a tricky, it's a tricky reality that we're all walking through right now. So uh, we're going to open up for your questions in just a moment, give you the opportunity to, to, um, you know, to kind of weigh in, maybe ask your questions as well. Let me say too, that the data has just begun. We've just begun to tease out the, 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 the data of the first round, uh, but we're going to look through these as we go section by section. Um, and so as we do, will be more information, more questions you'll have be like, can you break it down by so-and-so? Well, as we continue to have subsequent, uh, we can. So let's try to not focus on the questions on, well, what, what can we do more with slicing and dicing, but maybe questions of what we've presented thus far. You can drop your questions. If you're watching this live, you can drop it in the Zoom chat and uh, Brooks and our team at Exponential will uh, share those over with us. I'll start us out with a couple uh, as we go and, 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 and then you can jump in as well. Again, put them in the questions and answers and we'll get that information passed on to us as well. Dr. Hill, um, one of the questions that people wonder is, is what's it going to look like uh, two or three years from now? So uh, I know that's an impossible question. Uh, I've got my opinions on it, and I'll, I'll, I'll weigh in for just a second. But I'd be interested to see, do you see us assuming that the pandemic ends in some way? You know, there, I mean, there was an article in The Atlantic called The Permanent Pandemic, which was not an encouraging article as well. And yesterday in this very room, I talked to the head of, uh, I think, of vaccinology. I'm not sure of the term, but he's the editor of the magazine called Vaccines. He's the Mayo Clinic's you know, leader in this uh, process, consultant to all of the vaccine manufacturers. Um, and he said the variants, he put it, well, this is a whole other disease now. People don't realize it's a whole other disease. Um, but assuming that the vaccines, um, the number of infections and more lead to some level of herd immunity or at least some level of, of greater resistance, um, in the next six, seven months, where are we going to be in a year or two? What would you guess? 
This is well outside. Well outside. Area. But that's yes. why I'm here to make you answer questions outside of your expertise. All right, great. But um, one thing that I think is important to understand is path dependence matters. So what has happened in the past forms our beliefs and our behaviors. And so I think we've seen a permanent shift in our understanding of how we are able to connect with one another. So I think it's important that while I think most of us sense a deep desire to connect with people in person, face-to-face, that this is another uh, element, that the, the online or the remote ability to connect with one another is probably going to be a permanent part of our social infrastructure going forward. And the learnings that the church has, has through through pain and energy and effort uh, acquired is something that could be leveraged going forward and is an important component of how we can connect more broadly. At the same time, my, my hope is that we figure out ways that we really call people back to the church. Now, <clears throat> I like... I like data. I work with data. I'm data driven. So one of the things I'm hoping to do, and it's it's not to, if you haven't participated in the survey, it isn't too late. You can still go to- You know, that makes people, that makes researchers nervous when you say it isn't too late, but that's what a convenience sample is. That's right. It's an opportunity for people still to engage. And what we're looking for is not a random sample, but a repeating sample. And that repetition helps us to see trends. So and again, tell people how they can engage the survey. Right. So church attendance project, uh, Dot org. You can you can go there, or if if I'm sure most of you have received an email from either Exponential or the Bill Graham Center, um, inviting you to participate. The, the 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 survey. While we finished our initial report, the survey is still open, and and in order to dig deeper, we're hoping to find patterns of of something that somebody else has done three months ago might be something that you're looking ahead in the next three months to do. And so, if enough groups of people have done something that you're considering doing in the future. We'll, we're hoping to be able to provide that kind of information of what has been the experience of, of this category of activity or this category of action in terms of the atten- attendance behavior going forward. So I think that's an area that hopefully we can, we can leverage going forward to call people uh, back to the church. And finally, I think that uh, our beliefs matter. They don't, our beliefs do not change the reality around us, but they do change the way that we interact with the reality around us. And I think, I mean, that's really there's a really gospel message right there. I mean, we are, we, we are fallen. We need Christ's salvific power, but our understanding of that changes the way we respond to the gospel. Um, I think that, that to the extent that we can really understand behavior, the patterns, what's going on in the church, the, the better we can make decisions moving forward. So. Yeah. I'll be quick and say my thoughts, the most uh, likely predictor of future behavior is past behavior. We've had dozens of pandemics in the history of the church within two to three years after they tend to return to the prior pattern. In this case, I think that pattern will include a greater online engagement. And I think the question that's still before us is, can we engage those who have disengaged? Again, think in terms of three sections in the front rows, middle rows, back rows. Uh, front rows have been with us the whole time. They've leaned in more. They're more mission, more engaged, more, on, more, more seeking to share the gospel. Middle rows stayed with us. It's the back rows who, because they're infrequent attenders, could be Percentage-wise, a higher percentage of the church, though not a higher percentage of attendance. And I would encourage you, that's the question. How are we going to re-engage that? I also think the cultural convulsion we're going to go through for the next two to three years, it's not, it's not over when the pandemic's. If the pandemic ends this fall, pandemic ends this summer, which I think we're going to see rapid changes, um, it's the, the, the crisis you're leading through is not over. We're in the midst of a cultural convulsion. We'll see. Uh, but again, for us, 
we think this fall will be an opportunity for great gospel impact. Some questions are coming in, Dr. Hill. Let's jump through and, and walk through. Thank you, Andrew, for joining us as well. We're going to move to the Q&A section here in the room with Dr. Hill and I. Um, what, what, I wonder what would be helpful for pastors to communicate to the members who are changing churches or are transferring membership. Again, we're moving out of the data into some of your impression of the data. Um, uh, I, know, I know your church. I know people have, people have left your church and gone to your church because of decisions you've made in the church as well. What would you want? pastors and church leaders to say to them as they make those kinds of decisions? Well, one thing that I'm praying as we work on this project is that it wouldn't become a competition uh, to, to, for your church at the expense of another church to gain, but that we are the church and we can grow and learn together. Uh, um, I think that, that, what Ed is talking about with this, with this great sort is in some sense potentially dangerous because I think we benefit from having people who are ultimately in this, on the same team as us, that we are for Christ and his kingdom, but that, that individually have differences of opinions on specific views and to, to with the common ground of love to say like, I love you and respect who you are, even though we disagree on this topic, that's incredibly important and helpful for the church to have. But if we've sorted in such a way that everybody who is pro masks is in one church and everybody who is against masks or, or which is probably, uh, correlated with some other with some other oh you can say it. it's correlated with politics listen if you're driving in your car alone you're wearing a mask you don't also need a joe biden bumper sticker on your car we all know <laughs> but there is definitely a correlation between that things it's become fox news anti-mask cnn pro mask so if you're being discipled by your cable news choices that's going to reflect in what you think your church should and should not do and that great sword has some, I mean, we're moving away from one another in ways that will have long, and, and let me also do, there's a racial and ethnic distinction between the two. African-American churches meeting at a much lower level, Latino churches, not as much African-American, but they're at a higher level, not meeting as well. So uh, I'm, I'm just concerned. I'm concerned that we're showing some true colors that we're more driven by ideology than where we're by gospel community. It's, it's, it's an issue, I think, of great concern. And the great sword is not a good thing in my, in my, in my view. And again, I'll, I'm writing more on that as well. Um, any, uh, one of the questions is, and I, I know the answer to the question is no, but maybe you can hypothesize a bit. Does any data bear out with that recently launched church plants have experienced during the pandemic? Uh, yeah. I'm not, so we did, we did ask a question on when, when it was the church founded. Yeah. So we, that is something that we might be able to investigate. As further. we get more data as we go. That's right. Yeah, that's yeah, right. Yeah. But as of now, I don't, yeah, I not of that. okay. So let, and let me mention too, that the church plants have uh, size was a positive predictor for regathering, which is, which is, which we saw. So maybe it's a good time to be a small church. Church plants are almost always small churches. The challenge is, is locations. And we can't, this is not part of the study, but theaters are closed. Schools are closed. Uh, you know, even schools that are open, you know, Chicago schools, for example, are not open, but schools that are open, they've created a bubble and they don't want anyone renting their space because there's COVID issues that are there. The church I'm serving in New York City, Calvary, we meet at Hunter College. And to get in, you've got to have an app that actually you go through, see if you got any symptoms, you got to go in a little check mark. And, and I mean, the level of so school engagement is now much more difficult. And the top two places, church plants, meter and schools and theaters, and those are no longer available. So, yeah. so we don't know all the data on that, but it doesn't, there's going to be significant challenges that go from there uh, as well. Um, how do we network in a disconnected world? What are the opportunities? How do we find them? What are ways to actually try to bring some people together still? I think I'm, I'm going to have to throw this. I mean, one of the things that we're hoping is that by collecting the data together in yeah. this way that we're, we're serving a small part in facilitating that. So that's a conversation still to be had though. 
That's it. That's yeah. right. And I think pastors and church leaders are going to, we'll share data. We'll share some of the experiences as, as, as well. Uh, any studies being done internationally, non-US based churches? I'm not aware of any. Are you aware of any international? No, the, the, yeah. I'm not aware of any. Okay. There, there might be some. And let me say that we would be happy to find partners because one of the things that makes data better is when we use similar data as well. Now, of course, Canada is, you know, locked down all across the country. Um, well, not, not everywhere equally, but substantially locked down. Um, so, you know, there might not be the time to ask that question, but if there's Canadian organizations or for that matter, other organizations want to translate, we're happy to partner uh, with you and using similar questions helps us to be able to compare similarly across different contexts as, as well. Uh, are you aware of any true revivals that happened during or because of pandemic? So let me, let me, let me address that real quickly. Cause that's more of a question kind of in our space. So 1968, fascinating year, right? So 1968 was more divided than 2020 and 2021. The cultural convulsion was in full swing and full sway. 1968, civil rights protests were just everywhere, um, but also Vietnam War protests. Sometimes they merged together. Um, that was the year Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated on April 4th. Bobby Kennedy assassinated that year. In Chicago, uh, the mayor told the police just to bust everyone's heads open, and they did. The later report called it a police riot. Um, there, were, there were riots throughout the cities. Nothing uh, compared to in their severity. It was 10 times, 100 times worse than what we saw uh, this summer as some protests turned violent as well. Um, so we saw 1968 was a tumultuous, divided time. If, again, that David Brooks article, it was a cultural convulsion. Um, but what a lot of people don't realize is there was also a global pandemic that year. It was uncontroversially called the Hong Kong flu at the time. Uh, millions of people, based on one study, millions of people died around the world. Certain irony is that instead of having a lockdown, they had Woodstock the next year. But that's another story for another day. Um, but in the midst of all that, 1968, a guy named Chuck Smith asked his daughter, to um, bring home a hippie. He wanted to meet a hippie. And uh, she brought home a hippie and Lonnie Frisbee and Chuck Smith started a Bible study on Saturday night. And soon that Bible study multiplied into coffee houses and communes and churches were impacted around the world. And some scholars think 20 to 30, 20 to 30 million people came to Christ in what is now called the Jesus People Movement. We're very excited this fall, actually. We're going to have a Jesus People Movement forum and concert and uh, kind of big shindig at Biola in partnership with the Wheaton College Billy Graham Center. But that revival, some people call it the Third Great Awakening, was launched in the middle of the most divided year in uh, in many of our lifetime. Most of us don't remember that, but that was far more divided than we are in 2020 and 2021. So I don't think the pandemic was the cause of that, but it was part of that. And I do think historically, we do see people turning to Christ in those most difficult times as, as well. Um, okay, let's talk about a um, couple of the questions that sort of flow from this. As you're moving the data ahead, you're going to be able to report to us that 3% or 5% or 20% more people are this month than were in the prior months. Um, the, the, how does that look in the coming months? what those reports will look like. Give us a taste of what's coming in. Basically, the things that we're going to be continuing to track longitudinal time is the, the weekly attendance, both in person and remote, how staff the have shifted. Now, on top of that, we can overlay, we have the geographic information. And so we can overlay that 
with the trends in the areas surrounding those churches. So what we're hoping to do as we dig deeper into the data is between variables. So right now we've provided some line of what we are at. But we're really trying to, going forward, what we hope to understand is what has, what has driven some people or hopefully a lot of people to return to. This is, this is a variable that a lot of people are familiar with. There, if you're in Texas, uh, which is actually where Brooks and, and the exponential team is right now, uh, Texas is open. Uh, where Illinois early on was very close. And we actually put together a meeting with our, our governor, uh, very gracious of him. I put together the heads of many denominations. We went to apologize for some of the horrible about him. We knew he was trying to protect the people of Illinois. Uh, but we also said, you know, governor, your approach is actually going to be, be counterproductive. And he actually moved on that and moved and uh, moved from mandates to guidelines, which most churches in Illinois have been cautious and careful. But people don't realize that in Chicago, that didn't change. So Moody Church didn't meet until Easter of 2021. Moody Church had no services during the pandemic. We'll do it in a 3,750 seat sanctuary. All the city of Chicago is different than Illinois. 25% maximum capacity. So it's still complex in those different right. places. So now the good thing is we're be able to look at the restrictions and the attendance. And it'll be interesting to see if there's restrictions really do impact the attendance. So one of the things we see, for example, is um, kind of that mediating ground right now. The church I'm preaching at Sunday, uh, Cherry Hills is the name of the church in Denver. They have a mask required service at 9 a.m., a mask recommended service at 11. Um, mask recommended tends to be more people who have been vaccinated and, and, uh, or maybe people who don't want to wear a mask and nine o'clock. So but the pandemic's not over. And I think it's hard for people to realize and remember that the pandemic is not over. Okay, um, last question. And again, this is more of an opinion. I was economists and scientists crazy, but you're also, a, you're, you're a churchman. You love the Lord, your political ideology. What suggestions would you have? I think it's done through, I mean, so this is the hard part is that we, we I mean, like um, Andrew, I engaging with their congregations, but I think it's done in relationships through love. Yeah. But like, I think that we're going to stay surface level as long as, as we don't really know one another, but I've, I've tried to host. So I, I host student groups with, and I try to get students who have very, very different opinions on touchy subjects. Yeah. And what we found is that if we start with one another, then it's more possible to have productive and constructive conversations over our disagreements. There's another interesting thing that I wanted to bring up is that my a co-author and I uh, were working on some research that was looking at political opinion um, by population density. And what we found is that actually in rural areas, there's a, a, a tendency to be the distance between uh, somebody who identifies as Democrat or Republican is smaller than the distance in, in more densely populated areas. And, and we think it has something to do with, well, there's just less people to choose from and you're going to go to somebody. So if you're going deep with somebody, you're going to realize like we do have some things in common. And so we can, even when we disagree, we are willing to listen to one another. So I, I really think that that it has to start from our 
Yeah. I would also say that if some, if you or somebody left your church over an ideological discussion about masks or um, or responses to racial injustice or whatever else it may be, if you left your church over those things, it actually wasn't the gospel that was bringing you and connecting you to that church in the first place. And we might want to ask, what ultimately is the thing that ultimately connects us together? Is it the gospel of Jesus Christ? Is it the mission? Is it that we're here to show and share the love of Jesus? Or is it that we have to agree on this politician's view or this parties stand in the midst. Of course, there are all implications that flow out of our understanding of the gospel, but boy, I think, I think there's an evangelical reckoning coming. I wrote that in USA Today. got a lot of hate mail. I think there's an evangelical reckoning coming around some of these issues. That's another story for another day. Hey, thanks so much for joining us Thank in you. this conversation. Let me remind you again of our partners here. Uh, I'm at the Wheaton College Billy Graham Center, where I serve as executive director, Exponential, who actually you're watching on their platform, so you know that they're a partner. Thankful for, for Brooks, the team there, Todd, Bill, others that we saw earlier today, Leadership Network, CDF Capital, um, at we're uh, Outreach Magazine. That's kind of on the same line. That's two different things. CDF Capital and Outreach Magazine. Wheaton College Billy Graham Center. Wheaton College Billy Graham Center. Send Institute. Wheaton College Billy Graham. Uh, Wheaton College Center for Urban Engagement and Wheaton's Humanitarian Disaster Institute have partnered together uh, with others as well. And we're so thankful for this important data that'll help us continue our conversation. I'm Ed Stetzer. We're broadcasting live from Billy Graham Hall at Wheaton College in partnership with Exponential. Thanks for joining us. God bless.